Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode. Today, we're going to cover a very um, important, um, difficult topic um, of, of kind of alcohol, how that can uh, take us down a, down a bad path. But um, it's not the end of the world. There, there's joy and things that we can get to on the back end. So we have a lovely story, lovely guest that we have on today that we'll get to hear her story. So Roseanne, it's great to, to have you on today. Why don't you tell um, the the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, my name's Roseanne Forte, and I'm the author of a daily devotional called The Plans He Has for Me. And it is a devotional that helps people put alcohol to the side for 12 consecutive weeks. Uh, th- that devotional got written as a result of my own personal experiences. I was um, fairly successful executive in my career, CPA, COO, CFO. Um, I was a leader in the church, yet I I think I fell for the lies of the world and the alcohol companies, and I got a little trapped. Um, uh, the, the devotional has won a couple of awards, uh, so I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, I feel like my life's been rewritten, and it's very purpose-driven. I want to help other people kind of find the transformation and the joy that they're looking for uh, when they remove alcohol. Now, when you were talking about just real briefly with your with your story, um, believing some of those lies and, and things of that nature, which obviously our culture is filled with all sorts of lies. Um, why, why don't you walk us through a little bit of that story and, and what some of those lies that you were believing, what, what those were? Yeah, I started at such a young age, like 13, stealing liquor from my parents' liquor cabinet. And at that point, I was in high school, and it's like to be cool, right? If you're going to fit in, you're going to have some alcohol. And then college, you know, you start believing that that's the only way to have fun and socialize. Um, Certainly the commercials and um, society... Uh, would also make it available on every romantic occasion. So it can be used for um, romance, um, de-stressing, big one, right? Every every television show we probably watch <laughs> has the person coming home from uh, work and cracking open that beer or opening that bottle of wine. So it just becomes second nature in society. People have talked to so many people now that I I don't drink and they know I don't drink. And they say, you know, I'm so glad you're doing this because I'm really trying to take the shame out of it. There's a lot of languaging I don't use, but they're like, I don't even like to drink. And I always feel under pressure when I'm with other people to drink. And that's people that don't even like alcohol. So you know, the pressure is real and I'm trying to change the narrative um, to choose a life that's better, that's, you know, got more depth, peace, joy, productivity, uh, meaningful relationships. And uh, so when I go into a bar, I'm just like, no, I'm just, I don't drink, you know, it's, I feel so much better. And Quite frankly, a lot of people probably would go, huh, wish I could do that. <laughs> I bet you I'd feel better too, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Uh, you, you, again, you, you talk about all those lies, which, yeah, there's there's a lot that is presented in, in our culture. Um, when, when did you really realize like, uh-oh, no, this is this is a problem. This is something that I need I need to improve on. When when did that kind of realization come to you? Yeah, I, I don't know if I know exactly when, but I know it was a long time ago. I the National Institutes of Health say that people struggle with and try to quit for four and a half years before they on average four and a half years before they get help. I wanna say mine was 10, you know, 10 years. I think it happens over time. Um, You know, maybe you wake up one morning and you have that 
horrible hangover and you go, that's it, enough is enough. And then you start putting boundaries around it, Mm -hmm. you know, only after five, only on weekends, only on special occasions, only for romantic times, only on holidays. And, and you start noticing that it's hard. Like, Mm -hmm. wait, I, I do, you know, I do want to relax today. Yeah, forget it, you know. And over time, the consequences start adding up, whether you're losing productivity or you said or did something while you were under the influence that, you know, is maybe creating some relationship problems. Um, for me, my, my weight was going up. Uh, when you drink alcohol, your liver doesn't process, you know, the fat the way it's supposed to. It's trying to get rid of the toxin instead. So... I was having issues, you know, losing weight. And I knew that I could not lose weight if I drank alcohol. Um, just an enormous amount of, of problems uh, that occur. And they're, they're various for various people. You know, I've coached for years and it could be a car accident for some people, a, a, a diagnosis, um, a DUI, you know, it's, there's just so many things that can happen. And I look back on my, my journey and I am so grateful <laughs> that I didn't hurt anybody else mm-hmm. and I didn't kill myself. You know what I mean? Because just the consequences can be, can be severe. And I'm just, I, I'm grateful. I did get a DUI. <laughs> that wasn't mm-hmm. fun. Not, not fun at all. Very humiliating because I was pretty, you know, I was a go-getter. I worked for public companies. I worked for one of the richest people in the world at one point, managing his wealth. And that was humiliating. I don't want to be one of those people, you know, (laughs) and here I was, I did it, you know, terrible. When we're looking at a lot of different situations, but I, I think particularly what you just described there, a, a, a DUI, that there's a, a, a kind of a, a shame and guilt that goes with that. Um, now we add to the, the the church component of that, which I know not everyone that gets a gets a DUI is, is involved in church, but how did, how did you work through that? Like, I'm supposed to be a Christian and I'm, and I'm doing this. What, what was that like kind of going through that process? Yeah. So um, if you want to hear that live, that, I started a, uh, a podcast recently. It's called Say Goodbye and Imagine. And the first interview is me. And the person who's interviewing me is my pastor at the time I got the DUI. And I was on staff, although it was, um, it was volunteer staff, but I was responsible for a lot of things. I was responsible for a, a ministry for the sick and dying. And I did Bible studies. And let me tell you, that was horrendous. Just this living in secret is you know, having this secret that you're always supposed to um, hide, it's it's horrible. And um, that's why I want to start talking about it to let people know I want to share that, yeah, I, I think people view people with alcohol problems um, as, you know, the the person with the, the alcohol bottle and the paper bag, the wrong paper bag on the street. But I know firsthand because I've been coaching that there's very high performing people that are really struggling with this. And, um, and there's people in the church that struggle with this. That's one of the reasons I wrote the devotional. I went through a coaching program myself and it was secular and I was so transformed I had lost weight, my blood pressure was down, my resting heart rate was down, I had peace, I had joy, I had more self-confidence, I mean, all these things. And I was like, this is secret sauce, you know, and I 
I said, I want to work for you. And I started working for them as an enrollment coach and having these conversations with Christian upon Christian upon Christian that was feeling mm-hmm. the guilt and shame. I, I actually just talked to a pastor recently um, about the program that I'm doing and he shared, he goes, you know what? I got caught in COVID mm-hmm. with an alcohol problem and I ended up having to quit. And I'm like, wow, you know, you don't expect. And I, I actually have coached pastors again, mm-hmm. the lie it's the lie. Everybody fought. Nobody drinks alcohol thinking that's going to happen to them, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, it's an addictive substance and the alcohol companies spend a lot of money on making you believe that this is the way to have fun. And this is the way to get the guy or the girl, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, I think my, I guess we haven't talked about that either. My mental health was just going down the drain because, you know, you're hiding the secret. You're usually, I'm the type of person that when I put my mind to it, I get it done. But when it comes to a substance, it doesn't work that way. There's, there's a little bit more work involved and I didn't know, I didn't understand the process of um, changing my neural pathways, which is kind of what I focus on. I focus on the science of the brain and creating new habits and new neural pathways. Yeah, I think especially in your like your position. Yeah, I'm I'm a go getter, and I love that you brought up the the example of the you know the, the homeless guy that's got the brown paper sack, and that that that's who the drunks are, um, which. You know, there's a reason why we have that mental image that does happen, but there's the the executives that are performing really well that you wouldn't think of um, that they they are having alcohol issues as well. So yeah, there's not one face um, to people that are struggling with with alcohol usage. Doesn't discriminate, and Mm -hmm. I think you know, the people on the streets are the ones that probably couldn't get the help that they needed. Mm. I mean, this is something that gets progressive. And, and when I was an enrollment coach, I guess, for, you know, executive CEOs, um, entrepreneurs, you know, they are high performers. It's like I was a pedal to the metal kind of person, which is why (laughs) maybe alcohol agreed with me. But, um, you know, they are starting to feel the pinch. They are starting to feel like they're moving slower in their business. They know they're leaving something on the table. Maybe Mondays are are super tough and they're not getting stuff done. So again, they're operating in this realm of secret. Mm. And um, honestly, I, I think it should be just as easy to say, you know, I really need to give up drinking as, you know, I really need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Both are super hard to do. Both involve new ways of processing information and new habit formations. And, um, and yeah, I, I don't, they're both bad for you. They can both kill you. Um, and they both, they both, depending on the severity, can have severe um, psychological, you know, consequences of not succeeding hmm. at it. So, yeah. What what you were talking about earlier with the the substance portion, and and I think that's something that's really important with this. That it's a yes, it's a behavior, but you don't just snap your fingers and hey just get over it just just stop it um there, there's there's more that goes into it so kind of explain um when when you're talking about neural pathways and, and, and things of that nature explain yeah. some of the things you learned and and how that brain science really helped you work through this issue yeah we you know all those reasons that i explained earlier those um 
kind of we drink because we think it's required to be romantic or have fun or deal with stress or check out when we're depressed, right? When, and especially anxiety, this is where I think people get, this is why COVID created such a mm. drinking problem for so many people. Because an addictive substance um, creates a jump in your dopamine level. So it does provide this jump and joy. It calms your nervous system, right? And so if you've got anxiety and alcohol calms the nervous system, you're like, oh, that's good. And the next yeah. time you're anxious, you use it again, you use it again, you use it again, and you're not allowing your body to equal up, uh, to have equilibrium and get back, back set. And what happens with substances, especially is you develop a, a neural pathway. Like for me, again, I, it wasn't anything I thought twice about. You get home, you open the bottle of wine, you pour it, you don't think about it at all. You just do it mm -hmm. and your body gets accustomed to it. And unfortunately, the more you use a substance, the more you need it. And my tolerance had gotten so high. And that's why you go, well, how do you drink that much? Well, I practiced over a number of decades. <laughs> and um, so the, the process of quitting or changing your relationship with alcohol is understanding what your relationship is with it. Right. My let's just go with this anxiety thing, because that's probably what most people can um, connect with. Uh, it's this awareness of why you're grabbing it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'm sure some of your listeners. It, it, I used to have anxiety. I'd get home and I'd crack open the bottle of wine. And once the glass of wine was poured, I could let it sit there for 20 minutes or a half hour. It's not like, oh, I need it right now. It's because I got that dopamine hit in anticipation that I was going to have it, right? And um, But it's developing this awareness of I need something to de-stress myself. And I'm grabbing the alcohol. What other things could I do? to create less stress. And so in the coaching program, I, or in the devotional, you know, I say, let's do it for 12 weeks and see what's possible. Because over that time, you can develop a new habit of, mm -hmm. wait a minute, opening the refrigerator is a, an old habit. I want to solve this with a new one. I think I'll go for a walk or I'll call my friend or I'll talk to my spouse or I'll clean the house, you know? Um, it's read it's catching it noticing it understanding it and redirecting it and then the more you practice doing that the more it becomes second nature mm. i one of the greatest gifts i got when i um i quit was i used it for like that anxiety and depression and sadness and now because i've practiced it i don't even it doesn't even come up as a thought for me anymore um, to solve it with alcohol. And that's what we're aiming for is to, to change that. Yeah. Which is a, a very different approach than the 12 step. I don't know if you know anything about 12 step, but you know, uh, let, let's kind of get into that. Um, and, and I, I do think it's interesting on your on your devotional. You know, you kind of have the the twelve week as opposed to the you know yeah, the, the twelve you were step. Like, did you mean that? And I'm like, I really <laughs> didn't. I didn't. I just wanted the three months of time. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Kind of walk us through what are those differences? I think everybody knows what a twelve step or you know AA Alcohols Alcoholics Anonymous. Either they've been in it or they've known someone or they just know have heard that okay. term. What, what's, what's different about that approach? It's, it's, yeah, it's not even closely the same. So let me explain to you, for me, the reasons why I was reluctant to go to AA um, 
Well, first, let me explain that AA has saved millions and countless lives. So it is known as the most effective methodology out there, which I hope to change. But (laughs) um, so I do want to acknowledge its effectiveness. Uh, However, when I was faced with understanding I had a problem, there were a number of um, stumbling blocks for me to consider that. One was... If you walk in, you have to you have to quit forever, and I couldn't I couldn't and couldn't imagine that. Two was you had to call yourself an alcoholic, and that was absolutely out of the question for me because I already had super bad self esteem issues. I was in a toxic marriage for twenty nine years; it had fallen apart. I already basically hated myself. I didn't want to add on top of that, I'm an alcoholic, you know what I mean? And then three, you know, look to a higher power. Well, I already did. I was a Christian. I love God. I love Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. So for those reasons, I just was not attracted to AA, which is why I went this secular route. Um, But what the difference is in this approach for me it's hope-based as opposed to victim-based. It's mm-hmm. choice-based. And I'm not saying, like, sometimes people um, get really offended when I say choice-based, but I think there is, it's hard at the beginning, right? That's why I want you to get 12 weeks under your belt. But after 12 weeks, you feel pretty darn good. I, I can tell you, you feel pretty darn good and you have learned how to say no. And I, I believe it is your choice. So in this program, you would document your progress. Let's see, I'm sleeping better. Oh, I'm spending more time with my kids. I have more energy at work. I'm happier, right? I have more peace. There's no more anxiety when I wake up in the morning, right? You're documenting it. And that's that awareness piece again, right? So after 12 weeks, you feel so much better. You know how to handle social situations. And you and you know you feel better. So when you choose, you know which path. I'm trying to solve for cognitive dissonance. Do you know what that is? Yes, it's, yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's believing two competing thoughts about the same thing and it, Boy, is that true when we talk about alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. I love it. I need it. I want it. It's good for me. I hate it. It's ruining my life. I want to die, right? Which is true. Mm -hmm. And so over the 12-week period, we're really trying to solve for what's the truth about how alcohol treated me because we have this love affair with it, but it's completely toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... It's hope-based versus victim-based. My understanding of the people I've talked to um, in AA or 12-step, it's like, you know what? Well, that's they use that word, I'm recovering. I'm recovering. Mm-hmm. I'm recovering. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've recovered. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm a new person. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm recovering for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I... I mean, I can say with pretty big confidence, because I used to be a super heavy smoker, like called drug addict level, every half hour, two to three packs a day. And I didn't have to call myself a smokeaholic, a cigaretteaholic, and I'm not in recovery. And um, I quit because it was killing me. And that's kind of the, the same thing that I want um, people to understand with alcohol, that it was killing you. And not only that, it, it gets worse over time. I, when I talk to people, it's like, well, how, how long are you going to be, have you been struggling with this? A couple of years? Well, do you want to keep struggling for a couple more years? Because it does get progressive. No, you know, and it's just coming to that conclusion. Um, the program I went through, to was secular. The program I created was faith-based because I believe that 
people need to understand that they were created for a purpose. Mm. And I really want people to understand that they were given a gift in life. And most people know this. I'm sure you know this, Johnny, that you know there's some super great gift that you possess, right? Whether or not you're using it, we're all really good at something. Mm -hmm. And when we're using a substance, we're probably not pursuing that gift Mm -hmm. and we're not using it for the kingdom. And, and so that's the other thing about the program. Like we're taking something out of our life that (coughs) we thought gave us joy. Let's put something back in our life. That's true joy. That was the joy that you were created for. And, um, and that way people get to feel like, Oh my gosh, I've always wanted to play the piano or I've always wanted to get my bowling game in order. It doesn't matter what it is, right? I want to start carpentry. I want to go back to school and learn how to flower arrange. Um, and one of my clients, she wanted to be a real estate agent and she literally studied for it and passed her, (laughs) passed her exam you know, with all the extra time she had not drinking, not recovering from drinking and not thinking about how to quit drinking. Um, That frees up a lot of extra time in your life Mm -hmm. uh, to do some of these really super good things. Because if you just, and that's what I, that's what I get the impression that they do in AA. I don't know if you have any experience with this, but it's kind of to bubble wrap yourself from Hmm. the um, temptations. And I try to teach people to go out into the world and have fun and, and learn how to be confident about saying, no, thank you. I'm so much better like this. Right. As opposed to, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I can't go there. I can't go there. Actually. I know that for, for a fact, I talked to some guy at church and he knew what I did and he had not drank in maybe 15 years. And maybe he went to a wedding hmm. and somebody handed him a drink and he said he started shaking. His son had to take him out of the place. And I'm like, wow. Um, because he trained himself. I think he trained his mind to say, this is always going to be a problem for you. You're always Mm going to want it. (laughs) If that's what you train yourself to think, that's what's going to happen when you see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and so it's a lot of mindset, you know, a lot of mindset around how lucky you are Mm -hmm. to not drink, not how unfortunate it is that you're different than anyone else and you can't drink. I, it's like, no, I'm so, ha- I've never felt healthier in my life than now. I keep up with all my blood tests, every, all my markers just keep getting better and better. And um, yeah, I, I just, I have such confidence in my health. Whereas I used to go, well, but I have these blood tests and she's going to tell me I have cancer of something. And by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but alcohol contributes significantly to eight different types of cancer. Mm. Did you know that? I, I, that doesn't super surprise me, but I wasn't aware of that exact statistic. Yeah. Especially breast cancer. Mm. Apparently, cause I had interviewed a, um, a holistic doctor. And she said, yeah, it it changes your hormones around. And I I was like, I had no idea, Hmm. no idea. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, even those people that don't want to drink, like those people that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast who feel peer pressure to drink when they don't want, you know, they should feel confident, like, no, thanks. I don't really like it. I'm good but I'd love to hang here with you and have fun, you know? You, you know, kind of what you're you're saying there, it, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, basically trying to have everybody else around me stop their way of life. Nobody else around me can ever drink alcohol. Um, I can't ever be exposed to that. That is a 
for first off, it's impossible to do. You, you can't change everybody in the world around you, but it's also not a, not a very healthy way. Like it's much easier to control myself um, than to control o- other people around me. So I, right. I like what you I like what you're getting at there. Of let me focus on myself, and like I said, even if it, if I don't drink. Um, that I don't have to not be around it ever. Um, just say, no, no, thank you. <laughs> and then that's it. And I'm imagining, um, Polly, in your experience, um, after you've been through this program, and just in general for most people, if somebody's not comfortable with drinking and they say, no, thank you, most of the time it probably just goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and we, we keep moving on. And that's really one of the biggest things I get. It's like, oh, nobody even cared. <laughs> <laughs> nobody even cared. Like here we think everybody cares and nobody cares, but I forgot that. I do have friends whose fathers or in-laws um, were an alcoholic, only they called themselves an alcoholic. I don't, I just want to say they had a problem. Um, but yeah, no family holiday could ever take place with any alcohol. It was just, you couldn't have alcohol when Papa was around. And oh my gosh. And and then we wonder why people go, well, I don't want to be one of those. Like, I oh, you have to announce to the world I have a problem and you can't ever drink in front of me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was at a conference actually just recently. It was called the National Religious Broadcasters Conference. And um it was after hours and there were some bunch of authors, Christian authors that got together and went up and there's a girl having a glass of wine and she's like, well, what do you do? And I told her and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, why are you sorry? Well, cause I'm drinking like, you know, and that's what I, I go, yeah, that's kind of the conversation I'd like to change. I don't mm-hmm. care if you drink, you know what I mean? It's, um, it's, I'm laughing about it, but it's super sad. Mm. And um, I just think we need to have more compassion because, you know, when I say food, sugar is an addictive substance too. Um, for many people, including me, once I start, can't stop, right? Mm. And it's, it's addictive. I think a doctor told me once cheese is addictive too. <laughs> Anything that's addictive, <laughs> my body loves. So, um, but those things are addictive. So people should have some more compassion, understanding, um, even easier habits, right? Whether it's putting your cell phone down, um, mm-hmm. checking your email during the day, all of those are habits that are super difficult to change and don't involve a substance. So if we could have a little bit more compassion for people that get caught in the, you know, the alcohol um, trap, Hmm. um, you know, I think that would be a great thing for us. Uh, Let's kind of take that angle for a second. Let's assume uh, somebody listening, they're not dealing with uh, an alcohol issue for themselves, but they know somebody, um, that their their spouse, their friend, cousin, whoever. What what advice would you give for them um, to be able to reach out to that peer, friend, family member that needs help? How, how, what can they do to help somebody else out or at least approach them in a healthier way? Yeah, and I um, thank you for asking that question. It's a really good question. Obviously, there's a lot of different levels, right? It's the friend who you've noticed drinks to excess, but they've never said, I need to quit, right? I, I just think you leave that alone because everybody has to follow their own journey. But if they're a close enough friend and they go, oh, gosh, I really need to quit drinking. Well, you know, you could say, and that's why I like this approach. You don't say to somebody, oh, you should consider AA because that would be super insulting. Um, Mm. But you can say, hey, I know this daily daily devotional. A lot of people give this as a gift and it's received Mm. as something that they're grateful for because it's a 12 week challenge, right? It's not like you've got to do this forever. It's a challenge. So I have a lot of testimonials where it was given as a gift and received really, really well. 
Um, if it's somebody that's close to you, let's say a spouse, let's just go to spouse because that's probably one of the more difficult ones. Um, it's a balance, right? I think um, if you're acting completely disgusted and you bang doors and the, remember that the person who's struggling is already having a lot of battles in their head mm -hmm. with themselves. And so I think a compassionate approach, like I can see you're struggling or is this hard for you to quit? Or, you know, what do you think about your drinking habit? Just creating a conversation that has curiosity instead of um, accusations is a good starting place. Um, will that solve the problem? Mm, not always and not generally, especially right away. Um, I think boundaries need to be set. You know, when you drink, I prefer you not to drink in the house when I'm around or, you know what I mean? Boundaries. If you're going to do that, I'm going to go into another room, but very loving. Like, I love you, but you need to understand that when you drink, blah, blah, blah happens and it's affecting our relationship. I think having conversations about hope and how the relationship could flourish without it. Because um, I know when I was married and my husband used to um, uh, just be disgusted with the cigarettes. And I remember I already was disgusted with myself because I smoked. Mm -hmm. I could smell it. I didn't like it. I couldn't quit. And so just to see his disgust just sent me deeper, right? If he had just said to me, instead of his perspective, like, oh, I just hate it when you smoke. If he had just said to me, you know, I really love you and I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you and I, I'm worried that you're killing yourself. Hmm. You know what I mean? Looking for something that's more hopeful because that's what I tell people, like, what's possible? Let's just put it down for 12 weeks and, and say what's possible. Um, so I think those are some general ways to deal with it with a little bit more um, uh, compassion as opposed to disgust, not that their behavior, but you have to remember they don't, don't necessarily know their behavior when they, or they do, but there's so much shame. It's just really, there's, there's such a gamut of severity, right? That we're talking about, but in all of the severity of coach people who have to drink a day, serious drinking problem, it's affecting them. It's still affecting them. It's affecting their relationships, their productivity, their health, everything. So um, it doesn't matter if it's two or 20, you know, the, the conversation needs to be the same um, and understanding that it's not that easy to just stop. Yeah. 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 I, I really like that um, compassion mindset that you're talking about there and, and asking those open-ended questions and, uh, just your observations coming from a place of, I love you. And this is, yeah, it's affecting our home. It's affecting your health. Um, and just being able to keep it at that level, as opposed to, you know, this kind of intentionally, uh, yeah, like you, you filthy pig. What's wrong with you? You know, like we, we, yeah, we don't want to go that route. You disgust me. I can't stand it anymore. Slamming doors. And, you know, I promise you nothing about that will help them quit. Nothing. And I'll just fi drive them further into despair. Yeah. And um, it's, it's hysterical because I literally had had clients who are successful in putting aside alcohol and then they share that they are disgusted at their spouse's drinking <laughs> patterns. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, weren't you just there a little bit ago? Like, do you have any compassion for how it used to be? They're like, oh, oh yeah. Like even somebody mm -hmm. who used to drink forgets that they have to be compassionate, you know? And, yeah. um, 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that That's really interesting uh, hearing it from that approach, but that I think that's the human condition. We, we tend is. to, we tend to be pretty selfish minded. Um, and that's what I love about uh, your, your approach here and with your devotional of it being Christ focused, it keeps all of that into perspective. Like we, we're all sinful beings. And that's important for me on that compassion angle. I can get in that, not so much on the alcohol side of things, but uh, somebody on social media says something really dumb and like, what's wrong with you? And I can have that level of, well, I'm up here. I'm this Christian. I've got it all figured out. Right. No, no like I, I'm wretched, right? <laughs> I'm wretched just like everybody else. It's not me. It's it's Christ. It's what he's done, done for us. Um, and I think being able to have that worldview introduced interjected into your curriculum like that to your devotional that's wonderful and it keeps it all into perspective yeah and thank you for bringing that up so a big part of well the curriculum for sure and i know it's it's in my um, daily devotional forgiveness so just processing forgiveness of self and um you know for whatever reason uh, that you, we know intellectually that we've been forgiven, but processing it is, can be super difficult and knowing it, not living in the past, Hmm. but looking forward to what the future um, holds because God has wiped the slate clean for you so that you can pursue the future and be relieved of the shame of the past. Um, But also forgiveness of others, uh, a lot of people just it's shocking how many people um but they've been abused molested you know a lot of people are drinking because something horrendous has happened to them and um, they're trying to solve for the pain of that and check out Uh, but again same concept i love this where you know, a sin is a debt. Something's owed to you when somebody sins against you. But that debt is such a great, heavy burden to hold. And when we really offer forgiveness um, to the other person, we're not saying it's okay what you did. We're saying, God, this is too much for me to bear. I want you to collect that debt. And again, being free to move forward and not allowing what that other human being did to you, you know, to stop you from being all that you can be. And um, so that's also a big part of, of moving forward. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's an excellent point. I, I, I'd done some, uh, some work previously with, with senior adults and these were people that, I had a lot of respect for and um, would share some stories of, like you're saying, being, being molested by grandpa or, you know, really these hard, hard stories. But mind you, they, these were people that were there in their 80s and they're still holding on to grandpa who's been dead for 50 years. And that forgiveness, um, it's not just somebody that is actively daily there in my life. It might be somebody that was dead a long time ago. And they're the, that, that's something that we would work through. Well, okay, we agree what they did was bad, but who's being hurt by that right now? By, by you holding on to it? Like, they're dead. They're not being hurt by it now. Like, yeah, and I, I like that concept of... Um letting God collect on it because Mm -hmm. it's not like there isn't going to be a consequence. And actually I've learned in life, you know, that I just want to say, you know, what goes around comes around, I think because God handles it Mm -hmm. and um, you know, somebody like that will pay the price um, and they certainly are going to stand before God in judgment. Uh, So yeah, there's just a lot of evil things going on in the world and we can be affected by so much of it. Um, it's not that easy. I'm not saying it's easy to forgive, but we have to, to be able to realize our full potential because it's not right that something somebody did to you should affect you for the rest of your life, you know? Right. 
you can use it for good. God works everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for his glory. And um, yeah. Uh, you know, this just on that topic, uh, something that I had struggled with. Uh, and I, I'd grown up in the church and um, had had have had a saving faith in, in Christ since I, since I was six, which I'm incredibly grateful for. But one of those concepts I always struggled with was God's wrath. Like how, how could there be a loving God that's wrathful? And then I met my wife and we weren't even married at the time, but I just remember having these thoughts like, I love her. If somebody hurt her, I'm going to be very angry. Like that wrathful sense there and it's not even near that that godly um sense um but i understood it that that love and wrath are connected so oh, Christ, yeah he, he has that love for us but he has a hate for sin and and, and that vengeance is is mine the safe the lord there's a reason for that um that but that's not us i i can make the vengeance my own and and try to put all those daggers in all i can I'm not as good at it as as God is. So yeah. I, I think what what you're saying there of those just punishments, give those to God. He's he's much better at that than than anybody could be. And um, yeah, I think that's a really really important part to not put that vengeance aspect on your own because you you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, um, and also when you live like when you say you love jesus there's you you have the holy spirit and you're called you know to proclaim christ and show light if we're harboring anger and resentment that light is being hidden under a basket Mm -hmm. we are not showing you know, God's love and light. And I just, I'm sure you've read the headlines before. There's some incredible headlines um, sometimes when somebody gets killed and um, a parent of a child who gets killed shows up in court and says, your honor, I forgive them. And you're like, what? (laughs) Like, what? Um, And conversely, I've seen somebody do something and it may have been an accident and same situation, a child, a brother, I will never forgive them. Mm-hmm. May they rot mm-hmm. in hell for the rest of their life. And there's the vengeance. And I've yeah. just really noticed, have you ever noticed that? In yeah, court? absolutely. Yeah. Such a difference. And I think, you know, if you call yourself a Christian, you definitely want to be the first one, not the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what it all comes down into, that it's easy for us at times, if we've been legitimately wronged, to be in that latter position. I'll never forgive you. I would never do that to somebody. And, you know, you probably wouldn't. Um, There's some horrible things that happen, but we're not the victors here. We're not the ones that have done um, anything incredible. God, God has. Okay. Christ is the one that, that saved us. And it's important for us to keep that in perspective because if we have that prideful boast in us and it's about us and not not Christ, we've lost the message that that's not what we're called to do. Right, exactly. Yep, I agree. Um, and all I can tell you is I climbed out of an abyss of darkness and into great light that makes me fearless. I went from a person who used to be, if you rolled your eyes at me, I'd crumble. And because I had so little confidence in myself Mm. and now I'm just like, okay, God, you've given me a purpose and I'm not stopping (laughs) until I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, incredible story that that you've had and and what i love about your story too is that it's not it's not finished and, and you, oh, you're, no. you're you're continuing to impact other people and uh desperately trying to help other people that are 
maybe not going to receive help in the traditional ways. Um, and I, I think it's great. I love people thinking outside the box and not just saying, well, AA's got it. Um, no, like that, there's other approaches. Well, and one of the, I don't know if it's unintended consequences, but, um, you know, when people are trapped in addiction and they, uh, they want to stop and they've tried every other way, they really want to turn to God. So this mm. has been surprisingly a great tool for evangelism because yeah. it is compassionate and hopeful. There's no judgment in any of the 84 days. And so you're in there and you're, it's like, well, here's the scripture. This is what God told us. Oh no, shouldn't I have listened to us? He really loved us. That's why he told us that. Mm. And so it's kind of over and over and over showing a different side of God than the one they've heard about or experienced in a church or experienced from somebody they called Christian. And that really warms my heart, <laughs> you know, because it's just people meeting God in a whole new way. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, for the listeners that, that have listened to your story or maybe interested in your devotional or, or your services, uh, how can people be in reach with you after the show? Yeah, most people can um, find me on well at www.theplanshehasforme.com. And there's a red button that says Freedom Starts Here. They can always download uh, 20 flashcards for how to handle a social situation when not drinking. You can get the devotional there. You can find out about me. I'm on Instagram at Roseanne Forte Plans. And I just started that podcast, Say Goodbye and Imagine. So I'm I'm trying to make my imprint on the world. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll have all that uh, linked down there in the show notes. Uh, Roseanne, thanks again so much for, for being on the show and, and sharing your story with us. Uh, thanks for having me. I love sharing that. <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, and, and thank you to everyone that's been listening to us talk today. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.